Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. This is the first of a two-part feature in audio form, starting with James Hinchcliffe, as we look back on the 20th anniversary of Greg Moore's loss, October 31st, Halloween 1999, at the Fontana Super Speedway. On this 20-year milestone, sat down with Hinch about 20 minutes or so to speak about Moore's influence, how, as a young kid growing up in the greater Toronto area, Maple Ridge's finest product, Greg Moore, is a massive influence. Now, completing his ninth year in IndyCar, Hinchcliffe shares a variety of insights, but by and large, it's just a vehicle to give the love, give the thanks, and share some of the lessons that he's learned, some of the things that he took from interacting with Greg Moore in his youth that he carries on today as one of the finest and honestly most upstanding members of the NTT IndyCar Series paddock. So let's get going with the mayor, James Hinchcliffe, looking back at 20 years since we lost the great Greg Moore. Mr. Hinchcliffe, we are at this 20-year anniversary for a driver who meant an amazing amount to you, an amazing amount to us in general. Tell us what comes to mind when we think about this end of October anniversary. What do we call it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think I think anniversary is appropriate just because I think at this point, it's a lot of people very much celebrate Greg, you know, and, and what he was and what he meant to everybody. And uh, though it, it's never any, you know, less sad and somber, uh, you do try to put the uh, the po- kind of positive spin on the greatness and, and inspiration that he brought to so many people. So I'm sitting down today as well with his closest friends from the IndyCar community, his conspirators, his, his confidants, Dario Franchitti, Tony Kanaan, Max Pappas. We're also going to have Paul Tracy, a bit of the kind of elder statesman at that point. They were similar in, in age, Paul a few years ahead. We know how much he meant to them. Your story is the one that really fascinates me on this 20th anniversary of his legacy, of his ability to motivate and inspire. Tell us about when you first learned about Greg Moore, because I know it built into something powerful for you. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I grew up a huge IndyCar fan. My my dad made me a fan, I mean, literally as far back as I can remember. Uh, I think some of my earliest memories of life are watching races with dad, going to the race in Toronto, so I, I was a fan for a long, long time. And, you know, I got a go-kart for my ninth birthday. And uh, that was in 96. Um, something else happened in 96, which was a young man from Western Canada started racing in the PPG IndyCar series at the time. Sure, we'll call it kart. Kart. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, when I started racing and he had just started racing an IndyCar, it was just, it was so, it was so easy. Like the timing was just sort of a bit serendipitous. And then, you know, young Canadian kid, Canadian upcoming rookie, you know, just making waves in the IndyCar world and the kart world. Uh, and on top of that, he was just such a damn nice guy. Mm. You know, even at, even at the age of nine, I would watch his interviews and be like, I just like this guy. I just like watching his interviews and I like the way he drives. And I just, I just loved, you know, everything about him. It was such a, such an easy kind of role model to, to look up to and, and guy to sort of, you know, idolize in a sense. And, um, that's kind of, you know, how I first heard about him. I was a little bit too disconnected from it to know about his, you know, crazy year in lights or, or anything like that. But I was a huge Jacques fan 
right? So when Jacques went over to F1, Jacques Villeneuve, yeah, right. You know, that was that was essentially the car he filled. So it was it was easy. It was Jacques' replacement. It was a Canadian guy. He was a young guy. I was a young guy. Just started racing carts, and so it was it was just easy. Knowing your tracking of Greg is coming along when he's making that move in '96 to IndyCar. How much are you following him? How much are you, as a budding carter, how much are you trying to onboard? I realize that you might be a little bit young then to really pick out, aha, his turn-in style is this, but just curious how you started following him and how that helped you. I mean, the, you gotta remember I'm old. And so, uh, social media wasn't a thing. Uh, the internet wasn't readily accessible at this point in the world. So the access to, to him that I had was purely through the races on TV. Mm. And, you know, certainly at that time, there was not a ton of correlation between wheeling a five and a half horsepower Honda lawnmower engined <laughs> novice four-stroke go-kart around Goodwood Carways in Uxbridge. Um, and not a lot of that uh, in common between a uh, 900 horsepower kart car. So... Well, I was kind of awestruck by some of the things I saw him do on track. It wasn't to the point where I was trying to learn too much from him in that sense. Because honestly, at that point, man, at nine years old, 10 years old, I never thought this is what I'd be doing for a living, you know. But I always remember thinking, you know, what really stood out to me was was how he spoke and his Mm. interviews. And I always thought to myself, if I ever was in a position where I would be a sportsman and got interviewed after a race, good result, bad result, whatever just the way he carried himself and the way he conducted those interviews. I was like, that's, I like that. I like the way he does that. You know, he's, he's gracious in victory. He's still humble in victory. Um, he took, he took defeat as, as lessons. He was never angry, never threw fits, you know? Uh, and I, for, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if that's already what I was kind of like as a kid or just saw it and it just resonated. And that's then what a, I wanted to be like, but wow, yeah, there was a, an instant connection there. So as an American kid loving IndyCar, I and many others were blessed with pick a dozen or more different potential heroes. Mm -hmm. Share with us what it was like growing up in Canada. And while there were a number of amazing drivers, it's not as if you had 30 to choose from. Tell us about seeing the impact of Greg, him coming up. We know Paul Tracy was already established. Jacques, you mentioned, and headed to Formula One. But... For those who weren't immersed in daily culture, what was life like in the mid to late 90s watching Greg's, Greg's star rise and filter through a nation? It was incredible, you know, because obviously we'd had Paul in IndyCar for a little while and Paul was winning races and was, you know, a very exciting guy to watch. Grew up racing at the same track that I did, so there was even an even closer sort of, you know, fewer degrees of separation, if you will, but there was just something about Greg's arrival on the scene um, coming off the the lights year that he did, just absolute dominant fashion. And again, I was a I was a players Forsyth fan because of Jacques. I was a Jacques fan because of Gilles. You know, so for me, there was just there was so many things connecting that situation. You know, more than yeah. You know, I mean, I cheered for Paul. I was a Paul fan, but something about Greg just just sort of caught me. And uh, you know, watching him come up, I you know we we talk about it. Uh, you know, we talk about last week's race at the go-kart races and talk about how Greg did with my buddies. You know, it's, it's what everybody was talking about um, when he hit the scene. And it's what's crazy for me is, you know, he raced 
a handful of years, obviously at that level, far too few. And I was, I was young. I was right in that super kind of impressionable age of, of kids, carding, whatever. What blows me away, man, is looking now at kids that are 10 years younger than I am and they have the same feelings. They are touched the same way by this guy that like they would have been in diapers or like some of them not even alive yet. Wow. You know, it's all kind of retroactive. I guess it's almost in the same way because the other another driver that I always idolized incredibly was Jill Villeneuve. Obviously, he passed away before I was born. And so I, I try to make sense of it using that. One of my heroes as well. Yeah, but it just, it blows me away. Like the young Canadian kids I meet today, you know, whether it's the the Hargroves or the Parker Thompsons of the world, you know, that are a good chunk younger than I am, but still wear red gloves, you know, and are still wow. just as, uh, as moved by them. So looking at some photos that you have shared of a young James Hinchcliffe, getting to orbit your hero at the uh, the Toronto IndyCar race. As you mentioned, Gilles, you didn't get a chance to meet him, nor did I. I have some heroes of the past long before I was alive. Tell us about that moment where you got to meet this person who was inspiring you so much. It was, it was like the quintessential meet your hero moment. You know, it was kind of like the he walks out surrounded in a, in a white glow, you know, behind him. And, uh, and, you know, the jaws just sort of on the floor, mouth just sort of agape the whole time, not really, you know, capable of formulating any kind of coherent sentence. Thank God my sister was with me because she kind of kept, it literally would have been a walkout sign and walk away because he would have, he would have looked at me and thought, oh, okay. This little mute boy. My, yeah, exactly. Uh, but luckily my sister was there and, uh, and sort of kept the conversation going and, um, he was at the race in Toronto. I had stood outside his, uh, his trailer for about three hours at one point, even chased him on his, on his cub scooter to the, to the media center to try to get an autograph. Could not run as fast as he could scoot. Mm. Uh, so came back to the trailer, waited in the, in the heat. It rained at one point, didn't move. I had my, my chaperones did stints, right? So it was my dad at one point wow. and then it was my buddy Andrew at one point and it was my sister and they kind of rotated through and I just wouldn't leave. And uh, one of his mechanics had seen that I was sitting there for a while. It's like, what do you need? And I was actually holding the steering wheel that Greg ran on his Formula Ford 1600. And, uh, and I wanted him to sign it. And he thought that was so cool. So he ran into the trailer, grabbed Greg, brought him out. And so it was just kind of the three of us just sitting there chatting. And he just, he just couldn't have been nicer, man. He just took time, spent 10 minutes there chatting with us, talked about karting, you know, gave me some karting advice and, you know, life advice coming wow. up to the racing world. And, uh, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was that like, like storybook in the movies kind of meet your hero moment. And, uh, and that was, that was Toronto in 99, you know, so that, that was the last chance I ever would have had to have met him. And I, I just, I look back on that and think, how happy I am that I stuck it out for like three hours outside his trailer in all sorts of conditions because uh, I wouldn't have been able to get that that signed or, or had that opportunity to spend a little bit of time with him. A couple more questions for you before you have to go, James. So you now, along with our mutual friend Robert Wickens, carry that mantle for Canadian IndyCar fans. That three-hour story of waiting for a hero has that stuck with you and resonated with you knowing that 
You might have just finished an engineering meeting in the trailer. All you want to do is catch a 15-minute nap, but you might eye some kids or families outside the transporter who might not be able to see you, but is that stuck with you at all of, hey, there might be someone waiting for me? For sure, 100%. And, you know, I've uh, I've got some really, really cool guys on my crew, and, uh, you know, I'm in and out of the trailer. I'm, I'm back and forth. I'm whatever. They're there working on the cars if we're not in pit lane. And every once in a while, you know, one of them will come in and be like, hey, dude, there's this in the same way that one of Greg's mechanics came in and, and got him. They'll walk into the trailer and say, hey, you know, there's this kid, there's this family. They've been here. They've been here a while. Wow. And I think they missed you the last couple of times you've gone in and out, whatever. Could you sneak out? And, and any time I hear that story from one of my guys and I tell them, like, if you notice that, just come get me. You know, because I know how much it meant to me. And though I still refuse to believe that it'll ever mean that much to someone else, what what meaning Greg meant to me, uh, even if it's a quarter of that, you know, it's it's absolutely worth the couple minutes of your time to go out and, uh, you know, help keep the fan base engaged. And it's, it's genuinely super appreciative of anybody that, supports me to that extent and wants to hang around and, and meet me and get a picture or whatever. So yeah, I, I remember that day every time I'm on a racetrack. Wow. Let's close on two items of legacy. A lot of friends you and I have lost in this sport. We do our best to keep their memories, their, their spirits alive, but we can't live in the past. When folks think of you, Every time you get into a car, your race car, and start to pull on your red gloves, though, that's always a nod. For those who don't know, the hashtag red gloves rule, this, this thing that you've made a passionate part of your career. Tell folks about that, where it started, and why you maintain that. I mean, Greg was famous for, you know, driving a blue and white car with a blue and white suit and blue and white helmet. And blue flipping gold, off Juan Montoya. Flipping off Juan Montoya, which was, it stood out because in a sea of blue, he was, always wore these bright red gloves. And I remember, you know, as a kid, when you're karting, looking cool is like the most important thing. It's two tens. The coolest decals, 100%. coolest helmet, 100%. you know, two tens. And the lack of coordination on that always floored me. I never understood why he had all blue everything and then red gloves. And in an interview, he was asked this, and his reply was simple, because superheroes wear red gloves. And I just thought it was the coolest, you know, cleverest, wittiest response. And so, again, just, you know, won me over even more. And, uh, and from that day forward, I'm like, all right, Greg's a superhero. He wears red gloves, and I'm going to wear red gloves too. And... And I did. I mean, with the exception of my season in uh, in Formula BMW, where as a BMW junior driver, I had to wear a certain uh, uniform. Yeah. Uh, every year other than that, I've, I've worn red gloves because that's what Greg did, because that's what superheroes do. And he was, he was my hero. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a fun thing. I, and like, again, it goes back. I mean, young Canadian kids, they wear red gloves because of that. And uh, I just think that it was something so small, so seemingly innocuous, you know, but that's just the kind of impact he had is something just as simple as that could grab hold of an entire generation of a country's, you know, up and coming motorsports prospects. So I want to close on something that I will have opened with with Dario and the other folks. And that was actually the idea to do something on this 20th anniversary and it was inspired by 
a member of the IndyCar media, youngish, maybe late 20s, who came to me in the IMS Media Center a couple years ago, sidled up, just no, no preamble, just why do people think Greg Moore is a legend? Why do people say he's great? His record doesn't add up to that. What is it, five wins or whatever it is? The, the numbers don't match. That must be a fallacy. And it really struck me, I don't want to say ignorance, but it just spoke to the fact that this is someone who wasn't there to see Greg. Right. And so the numbers don't fit. Right. For those who weren't fortunate enough to see this amazing driver lost before he could do all the things we expected to do with Indy 500 wins and championships, for those who never got to see him or understand the context of why 20 years later we're speaking with such great reverie, what was it that made Greg Moore so great? It's, uh, you know, and again, I'm, I'm watching this as a, as a 9 to 12-year-old kid, you know, with a, a limited understanding of motorsports at this point, but an understanding given that I started karting at that time. And, you know, you watch a guy in his second year of IndyCar racing go head-to-head with Michael Andretti, one of the greats of our sport and to take his first win, you know, it was, he didn't have the time and the opportunity to get the numbers that we all know he would have, but it's the numbers that he achieved with what he had and the experience level he had at the time, there were these drives. Milwaukee was a huge one. Obviously Michigan was a big one. Um, you know, keeping his head about him in Detroit, you know, there were these, these drives that were just so beyond his years. He was so young. Uh, he wasn't in the best car. Uh, Forsyth had a, a strong oval package. The Mercedes was decent in top top line power, but wasn't the best on a drivability on a road course. A lot of mechanical issues, whatever. But those that were there saw it, and like you know, the the guys that you're talking to, Dario and, and Tony, have become good friends of mine. You know, and you sit there and think, man, he could have been part of that group. I could have been this close with him as well. You know, had things turned out differently, but. Guys like Dario and Tony, who I respect incredibly from behind the wheel of a race car, just listen to how they talk about it. Their reverie of him. Listen to guys with that, with those credentials, talk about how impressed they were with this kid. And and that's all you need to hear. One conversation with Dario explaining, you know, Greg passing him on the outside of one at Homestead, looking like he's <laughs> half sideways. And Dario's been like, F that. That's absolutely not me. Not. Never going to happen. Me. You know, and. Uh, to see to see the uh, the admiration that these these storied and you know accomplished drivers had for this guy have for this guy that's that's all you need to know that's all you need to hear thanks once more to James Hinchcliffe and if you'd like to listen to any one of our 600 plus back episodes please visit marshallpruittpodcast.com